Welcome to Grace Harvest Church's weekly podcast. For more information about Grace Harvest Church or to find out more about something you hear during the podcast, visit us online at graceharvestchurch.org. Now listen in and allow God to speak to you through this week's message. Hey, Grace Harvest Church family. Thank you for joining us today for worship and the word. Um, I'm going to be bringing a message to you today called, In Dark Times, We Celebrate Our King Jesus. And you know, before I um, get into the message, I just want to encourage you to get a Bible and or grab your, your you know, tablet or your cell phone and turn over to Matthew chapter 21. That's the text we're going to be looking at. And um, I, I just want to share with you today the story because this is Palm Sunday, the story of when Jesus came into Jerusalem riding on the back of a donkey. And as he rode on that donkey, all the crowds gathered around him with palm branches and laid him on the road in front of him and behind him. And they celebrated and they cried out, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. We're going to look at that famous story and we're going to celebrate today that Jesus is our king, even though we live in dark times. I remember with great fondness the years 2014 and 2015, because those were the two Super Bowls that the Seahawks went to back to back. Actually, it was the 2013 season that the Seahawks were amazing, and they ended up going to the Super Bowl on in, in February of 2014 and defeating the Denver Broncos. And then the next year, they, they met the New England Patriots in the Super Bowl, back-to-back Super Bowls, and one year they won, and one year they suffered a heartbreaking loss. One year they were on the mountaintop, and the next year they were in the valley. Now you say, what does this have to do with Jesus Christ on Palm Sunday? Well, it really illustrates something that I want to bring out to you. See, that year they beat the Broncos. We had a Super Bowl party here at the church, and people were everywhere out here in our auditorium, and, and uh, we were you know, really excited about the game, but everybody was saying Peyton Manning and the Broncos' offense was unstoppable, so we were a little bit nervous. People brought their families, their chairs, their food, and by the end of that game and total Seahawks domination, we were all celebrating. So a year later, you know, we're back there. And remember, when they beat the Broncos, there was a giant celebration in downtown Seattle, somewhere between 700,000 and a million people celebrating with a procession that the Seahawks had won the Super Bowl. And we were waiting to do it again. And so the next year comes and we face the New England Patriots and, and Russell Wilson is marching down the field and he's got him at the one yard line. It's the end of the game. We're about to win back-to-back Super Bowls. Everybody knows that Russell Wilson is going to feed the beast. He's going to give Marshawn Lynch the ball. Marshawn's going to bust in from the one yard line. We're going to win another Super Bowl and we're going to celebrate. And right at that moment, Russell Wilson drops back and he throws a pass and it gets intercepted by Malcolm Butler at the goal line. And I remember we had a bunch of people out here in the auditorium. We were about to jump up and scream and celebrate and people literally went, ah! And at that moment, all of us experienced the loss of seeing the Seahawks choke and lose that game. 
And I know some of you right now are crying. Quit crying. Wipe your tears away. We can get through this together. But it's such a great illustration of how quickly things can change, how quickly things can turn in our world. But now, let, let me just back that up and think about this. What if, based upon the year before's great victory, what if 700,000 to a million people had gathered in Seattle a week before they played the Patriots in that second game? And we and, and Russell Wilson and all the team was there and they were going through the streets and celebrating that they were the Super Bowl champs before it ever happened. If they did that, you and I would say they're crazy. What in the world are they doing? You got to play the game if you're going to win the game to celebrate the game. But actually, if you look at what Jesus Christ did when he went into Jerusalem on the back of that donkey... He celebrated his victory before he suffered. He celebrated his victory before the darkest night. He was celebrating and the people were celebrating that he was the king, the conqueror over Jerusalem and all the world right before he would experience what human beings would call the greatest defeat of all, the defeat of the cross. But of course, what they didn't understand, what nobody understood, was that you couldn't keep him down, that he would rise again and conquer. So he celebrated his victory, even though he faced great darkness and great death. And he rode into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey, the symbol of humility and gentleness. And he would conquer that city through his death and his resurrection because his sacrificial love conquers everything. Love never fails. And so that's what I want to look at today. Let's look at Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 11. Verse 1. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Now, if we're going to understand this triumphal procession, if we're going to understand the meaning behind Palm Sunday, we have to understand that in the ancient world, when a king would conquer a city or he would conquer an area or a general would conquer a city or an area, they would bring all the spoils and all the slaves that they gained from conquering and they would come into either the city they conquered or the great city of Rome and they would have a giant... A procession known as the Parousia. 
and a, a welcoming committee would go outside the city to meet the army and bring them in and they would come with all their spoils and all their victory and come through the city and celebrate. And that celebration would be representative of that king or that general being a conqueror. And sometimes they would go through the very city that they conquered. So as Jesus is coming into Jerusalem on the back of this donkey in humility and lowliness, not on a big white horse, as he's doing that and the crowds are saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, which means come and save us, come and save us. You're the king, come and save us. As the crowds were saying these things and Jesus was riding through the city, he was basically declaring and they were agreeing with him that he was the conquering king of that city. And yet if you watch what happens after that, everything goes downhill. You know, why did he ride into Jerusalem then? Why, why then and not after his resurrection? This procession was reserved for those who conquered and won great victories. Yet Jesus was about to be betrayed, unjustly tried, beaten, spit upon, and crucified on a Roman cross. It's as though he's celebrating a reality that is already guaranteed, regardless of the circumstances or what it looks like. Jesus went into that city by faith, knowing that that city would always be his city. You see, at that time, it's totally counterintuitive because at that time, Jesus was already losing popularity and losing followers. In John chapter 6, verses 64 through 66, you don't have to turn there, but Jesus had just done a miracle and fed the, the crowds with the loaves and the fishes. And, and now he told them, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part in me. And they couldn't understand what he was saying. And it says many of them turned, many of his disciples, not the 12, but his crowd of disciples, many of his disciples turned and they left him. And they quit following him. It seemed that his popularity had risen to a peak. And then he continued to do and say things that brought it down. And, and so right in the middle of him losing great popularity and people leaving him, disciples abandoning him, Jesus goes into the city as a king and claims his victory as a king. It doesn't make sense. The, the crowds are so fickle. You know, Oliver Cromwell who took the British throne away from King Charles and established the Commonwealth in, in England, said this to a friend one time. He said, do not trust the cheering crowds. For those same people that are cheering for you now would shout even more loudly if we were going to be hanged. You know, Jesus understood that many of those same people, or at least some of those people who were saying, Hosanna, could also be a part of the crowd that was saying, crucify him and yet he went into the city celebrating he celebrated victory while death loomed before him you know he told his disciples just before palm sunday literally just before he went into the city he turned to his disciples when, when they were on the road together and in mark chapter 10 verse 33 and 34 he said this we are going to jerusalem <clears throat> And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes. And they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. That would be the Romans. And they will mock him and spit on him 
and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. Isn't it interesting? Jesus knew in detail what was going to happen to him. Think about that. He knew when he went into Jerusalem on the back of that donkey, celebrating that he's the king over the city, the only one that could save it. He knew that his destiny was death. He knew in detail. He knew darkness was in front of him. He knew that his immediate future was really, really a deep, dark valley of the shadow of death. He knew it was. And yet he went in as king. See, he didn't try to escape or deny the pain that was in front of him. The scripture indicates that he was focused like a laser toward his destiny. And that destiny was death and resurrection. He wasn't trying to self-medicate or numb himself. He wasn't kicking back on a Netflix binge. Am I talking to anybody? He wasn't drinking himself to death. Am I talking to anybody? I just want to ask you in the midst of this. Are you letting fear about the future drive you into escape or denial right now? All that escape or denial ever do is stretch out the pain and the suffering. They only delay the pain and often lengthen it. We have to face our current reality. And our current reality is pretty dark. We don't know what the future holds. As we're locked down for another month, we don't know what the economic repercussions are going to be. We still don't know how many of you are going to lose your job or how your businesses are going to do. We don't know what things are going to look like financially for our country. We don't know how many people in our county, state, or nation are going to get sick. Our world are going to get sick with COVID-19. We don't know how many are going to die. At this point, we don't know what the future holds. But we must not slip into escape or denial. It's the worst thing we can do. I want to ask you, are you engaging in behaviors that are self-medicating and numbing to your pain. Self-medication and numbing behaviors always lead to self-destructive behaviors. We have to face the pain, church. When we face it, God can help us with it. When we look it square in the eye and we say, this is ugly and I'm afraid, Lord, and I'm not sure what to think of the future, but I know you're with me because you promised to be with me. And I know I have a family called the church and we're gonna walk, we're gonna make it through this together. Somehow we might have to share resources. Somehow we're going to make it, but I'm not walking this alone and I'm not gonna be in denial and I'm not gonna self-medicate. Maybe you're experiencing grief and anger right now and you're trying to cover it up or deny it. Don't do that. Don't be afraid to tell somebody, I'm afraid. You know, you don't have to put on a, a fake face right now like you got it all together. You may not realize this, but we're walking through stages of grief right now in our nation. We're experiencing institutional and national grief right now. You know, grief has five stages. Not everybody goes through each one in order. They're kind of mixed up sometimes. But grief and its emotions are common to all of us. And the stages of grief are denial and isolation... We're being forced into isolation. Anger. You've been feeling some anger. Bargaining. Trying to work out a deal to some, you know, keep the, the pain from happening, the loss from happening. Bring it back somehow. Oh God, if only you'll do this, that won't happen. Depression. 
We have to be really careful there. And then finally, acceptance. If you're experiencing these emotions or responses right now, please understand that they are normal and that God and people can help you process through them. If you see or experience others in your circle or your family or the people that you know, and you notice they're walking through these stages and maybe they're in the anger stage and they're expressing some anger, don't react to it and take it personally, but give them some time and some room to vent it and express it. And then if we follow the pattern of Jesus, look at the next thing he does. Jesus trusted his future to his father. He abandoned all his outcomes to God. We see that in the Garden of Gethsemane. Lord, if it's possible, will you let this cup of the cross pass away from me? Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. I remember years ago hearing Dallas Willard say, we must abandon all of our future outcomes to God. Our part is to do what we know to do. Pray, read scripture, love people, love God, love our neighbor, do the things he shows us to do. But sometimes when we do the right thing, the outcome can still be bad, at least in the short term. And, and so we need to recognize that outcomes are not up to us. We live in a sin-fallen world and a lot is broken down here. We abandon those outcomes to God and we trust him to care for us, even though the future is unsure. Are you trusting your future to God? Do you trust his plan for you? Do you believe that God can care for you even if things get worse? Or are you trusting yourself, the government, some other entity, or the God who created and redeemed you? Who are you trusting right now? Are you trusting God even if you have to suffer through some of this? You know, there are some people out there that teach a form of Christianity that basically says, that if you have faith and you believe in God and you love God and you do everything right and you say the right words and you confess the right words, that you'll never have to suffer. And I want to tell you, that is a bold-faced lie. Absolutely a lie. Suffering is normal. Suffering is human. Suffering is what every human being goes through. And we will either suffer because of our sin and because of the sin in our world and the evil around us and the fact that we're in a sin-fallen world, or we will suffer because we do the right thing. And darkness doesn't like that. But we're going to suffer. At some point, we're going to suffer. That is the human experience. But do we trust God as we suffer? You know, Jesus claimed his victory over sin and death before it happened, before he saw it. He knew that the suffering of the weak coming after this triumphal entry lay ahead of him. He knew that betrayal, abandonment, false accusation, and crucifixion on a Roman cross awaited him. He also knew that he would rise again, ascend to his father, and begin to rule over all of his redeemed creation. Jesus knew that you were on the other side of it. He saw you. He saw me. He saw the gospel going forth to all the nations through all, the all time and the ultimate victory of God over all of sin and death and Satan and darkness. He saw that. Hebrews 12, 2 tells us that Jesus endured the cross for the joy set before him. What was the joy? 
It was you and I. It was a church. It was creation being put back together and fixed again. He began to celebrate his victory because he knew it was settled and he would gain all of us. The triumphal procession is Jesus basically sticking his finger in the eye of the devil and of sin and of death and saying, you think you got me, but you don't have me. Resurrections on the other side of death. Resurrection follows crucifixion. You might feel like you're going through a death right now, but resurrection follows crucifixion. We Will we, and this is the question I end with, will we celebrate the victory of King Jesus right now, even before our circumstances get better? We can either sink into depression we can either go off the deep end, we can either become full, so filled with anxiety that we can't function, or we can begin to say, if God be for me, who can be against me? Jesus is Lord, Jesus is King. I may suffer, but even if I suffer, He's going to be with me in my suffering. He's going to walk with me, and other people are going to walk with me. We're experiencing a common suffering. I'm not going through this alone. Others are going through it too. So listen, things could get worse before this all ends. Right? Financial pressures, family tension, national debt, some people getting really sick, some people maybe even dying from COVID-19. We don't know what the future holds and other difficulties that may follow. But in all of that, will we trust that Jesus is king over it all? Can we celebrate his victory right now, even before it happens? Can you get out your palm branches and wave him? Can you lay your cloak down on the road before him? Can you say, my life is yours, I give it all to you, King Jesus, and trust him with your future? Let me encourage you that you can. He's faithful and he's true. That's his name and he's going to take us through this. I want to close in prayer right now and I want to pray for people to know Jesus. I want to pray for you if you've been away from him but want to come back to him. Now is the time. I want to pray for those of you who are experiencing anxiety and anger. I want to pray for people with compromised immune systems and health. I want to pray for business owners who've lost their jobs or business owners whose small businesses are struggling or those who've lost their jobs. And I want to pray for people to be healed and restored to Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, I want to pray for my brothers and sisters right now. And I want to ask you, Lord, to turn people to you. I pray that if there's anybody that's watching this message or listening to this message that doesn't know you, that they would turn to you right now. That they would say, Jesus, forgive my sin. Come into my life. Change me from the inside out. I know my sins have separated me from you, but I believe you died on the cross for my sin and I believe you rose again. Lord, I wanna pray for my brothers and sisters that are experiencing anxiety and anger. And I ask you, God, to give them peace, peace to their soul, peace to their spirit right now. I want to pray for people with compromised health and immune systems, that you would protect them and strengthen them and heal their bodies. I want to pray for business owners and those who've lost their jobs, that they would see during this time that my God shall supply all of my need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would heal and restore anyone that's sick. 
I pray that right now out there, anyone that's watching this that is battling with a sickness, a cold, a flu, maybe they have COVID-19 and they don't know it. Lord, those who are battling other health issues, in the name of Jesus, Lord, you died on the cross, you rose again, you bring healing to us. By your stripes, we are healed. Spirit, soul, and body, I ask you to heal people and restore people. I thank you for it. I thank you that you've heard me, Lord, and you've heard us as we prayed. Now be with us and bless us the rest of this day, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and give you peace. May the Lord be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Go with God. He goes with you. God bless you.